Hello and welcome back to the Gritty Men Podcast. I'm John Riggs, and we are here to equip, encourage, and inspire God's men to live God's way for God's glory in these days. Hey guys, um, for the past few weeks, we have been looking at Paul's five arrows of biblical manhood, and um, we're looking at the scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, where Paul writes to these men at Corinth. He says they are to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, to act like men, be strong, and all that they do to be done in love. And so we are taking these five um, sections of this, these two verses here, and we are putting each of them in this quiver of five arrows. And within this quiver, these five arrows are significantly going to be um, used in your life as a godly man. And so we are on arrow number three, and we are looking at... Um, the phrase that we all like, guys, in Scripture, and this phrase that Paul mentions here to these men at Corinth is that they are to act like men. And um, I love that Paul addresses the Christian men in Corinth, and he tells them to act like men. Um, arrow number one, if you remember back a few weeks, was to wake up. It was that they were to be watchful, alert, fully engaged, on go, ready. And that's really the beginning of where it all starts. And so in this quiver of, of, of arrows that we need as godly men, number one, we need to be awake. We need to be awake to be awake to what's going on around us. We need to know what is happening in order that we know what we need to do in the season that we find ourselves in. If you don't know what's going on, you do not know what needs to be done, and therefore you can be taken unaware. Number two, the second arrow that Paul gives these men at Corinth was that they were to stand firm in the faith. And we call this arrow simply uh, the arrow that is entitled to step up, that these men were to be unwavering in their character, solid men of integrity, um, those who honor um, and live for the glory of God. They're stable. They're dependable. Um, they are immovable. They, these, these men are mature men. And they are striving to live their lives for the glory of God. This third arrow that we're looking at today, we call this arrow simply titled Man Up. This is the arrow that Paul says and exhorts these men at Corinth that they are to act like men. That's what they're to do. Now, I realize that in our culture today, you can go a lot of places on the internet and you can find um, an unlimited number of um opinions on what true masculinity looks like and what we're looking at we're not interested in what the world portrays as the standard of masculinity because we know as christian men that our standard of masculinity is found in and comes from the word of god and the person that we have as the standard of what true masculinity looks like is our lord and savior jesus christ and he is the standard by which we live our lives and so we're not looking at the world. You can find, as I said, all types of different things, and many men are searching for answers about true masculinity in our day and time, and the world has a lot of different things that it will tell you in relation to what men um, can be defined by in regards to their masculinity. And we know that it's broken down into three primary areas, buckles, bunnies, and bucks. That's how the world views success. That's how the world measures you as a man. 
But our measuring rod is the Word of God, and Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority on that. So, guys, just um, keep that in mind as we go through this. So when we think about what Paul is saying to these men, no doubt they lived in a time um, that wasn't much unlike the time we're living in in regards to the depravity of a culture. They lived in a very depraved culture, um, all kinds of things um, within that culture that were very um, ungodly and that were... um, part of these men's lives prior to their coming to faith in Christ Jesus after hearing the gospel that Paul preached. And so um, we want to be um, men that have an understanding of what true biblical masculinity looks like and that we don't gauge um, how we live our lives as men based off the world, which we know is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's kind of how it's operated in this society in which we live in. Um, and so it's not all driven by money and worldly success and possessions and, you know, and, and, and all of those things. That, that's the world's value um, on success. That's not how we gauge our lives as Christian godly men. Nothing wrong with being successful in what we do. In fact, I think that that's just part and parcel of how we've been designed and created by God to do what we do with, with greatness and to do it um, to the very best of our ability, to be successful, to succeed, uh, to overcome, to conquer. All of those things are part of our DNA, and that makes us who we are as men. But the true success that we will find in measuring ourselves according to what true masculinity is can only be found in Christ and in the Word of God. So that's our measuring rod, guys. That's where we go to to find how we are to live. So when Paul says, act like men... He says that they are to be fully grown and mature. That's what this word literally means here, that they are to be mature, that word complete. Um, They are to grow up, if you will. And this is very, very important. Um, They're to be responsible men, brave men, self-controlled men. But primarily what Paul is getting at here is um, there was a measurement of masculinity in Corinth. And Paul says, listen, uh, no, 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 that's not our measurement. You need to grow up and you need to grow up in Christ and be mature, godly men. And that's what it means to act like a man. Now you can still have all the world's possessions and be a boy when it comes to true masculinity. Um, In other words, you can be a man that is absolutely an epic failure in your morality, in your marriage, in raising your children. Um, You can can epically fail in in all these areas, compromising an an individual, tolerant, all of these these aspects, Um, but yet you can still be considered to be a great man because you've been successful at business. Now, well, you've failed in the greatest things of life. If you failed in, in those other areas, you failed greatly in, in, in the most important things in life. And so Paul says, you guys got to grow up. And I would say this too, guys, that is really a drumbeat that we need to be beating in the churches that we attend. We need to encourage and help equip men to grow up into Christ. Now, I realize that we can't make another man grow. They have a responsibility. We each do. Paul could not make these men grow up. In fact, he's going to address them as mere infants here. 
Um, but Paul says you need to grow up. If you're going to truly be those that act like men, you've got to be grown up and mature. And I realize that this takes time, but let me say this as well. And I've mentioned this before on previous podcasts, but just for the sake of this podcast, let me say it if this is the first time you've tuned in. Maturity in the body of Christ does not have a direct correlation to the number of years you have been saved. In other words, that you have been a true follower and believer of Christ. Now, it should have a corresponding relationship to how long you have been a believer and follower of Christ to being a mature believer in Christ, but it does not work that way. It should, but it doesn't. In fact, there are many people, and I say i got to quit using the word many because I know you guys probably are like, John, come on, you're sure harsh. Well, listen, there are, there are, there are lots of men who have been quote-unquote Christians for many, many years of their lives. I grew up with these men. I have been pastoring churches with these men that have been Christians. If you speak to them about the point of their salvation, they can take you back 20, 30, 40 years when they actually encountered Christ and they surrendered their life to him and they were regenerated, born of the Spirit of God, they became children of God. They can take you back to a point when that happened. But as far as their maturity level goes, they haven't progressed very far along the lines of maturity. In fact, they're still infants. They, 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 they can't even instruct and teach um, even some of the basic things about Christianity. They're not, um, they're not growing up, and that's not normal. That shouldn't be the way it is, but it does happen that way. So you could be a young Christian and actually be more mature in Christ than some men who have been Christians for years. Now, that is a type of retardation. I don't mean that to be harsh when I say that. What I mean is that that's not normal. That's not how things happen in life. But we do see this in just in, just in our society. You have men um, that are, or should we just say males? I hate to call them men, but they're old enough to be called and considered a man, but yet they take no responsibility for their lives. Um, they may be 30, 40 years of age, and they're still not men who, who, who own their life, their, their failures. They're still not men that can be uh, trusted or men that can be depended upon. They're still children, man. They're still hooked on video games and hanging out with their bros and, and not, not being grown-up men. They, they don't want to be that. In fact, that happens a lot within our culture. Um, but that's not how it's supposed to be. Um, and so when Paul talks to these men, he says they're to be fully grown, mature men of God. That's what Paul is talking about in relation um, to this. Um, now, it's, it's kind of interesting, too, that, that we, we understand the necessity that men are to grow up in Christ and that men are to be the leaders of their wife and their family. We know this from Scripture. This is the reality and the role that God has ordained for men. Not only that, that God has ordained for men to be the spiritual leaders of the church. And, and yet we find that there is so many areas where that's not even being done. We now have female pastors, and we have all these things going on which are totally contrary to the Word of God. And, and we have a lot of this goofball stuff that's going on, and we wonder what's, going, what's the problem here. Well, we need to aspire 
and, and, and require that men of God grow and they mature. This, this needs to be a primary objective of the church. Yes, all grow, but when it comes to the leadership and the direction, let me say this. The leadership and the direction has always come from the men. In other words, what, I, what I'm saying by this is as the man goes, so goes the family most of the time, and so goes the nation, so goes the church, so goes the community. So what we have going on all around in our culture is we have a, a, a major, major issue when it comes to true men. And the reason we have so much corruption at the highest levels of the government in this nation, from the lowest to the highest, is because we have such corruption within men. Because our nation is a government that is a representation of the people. In other words, we don't have a king that is simply passed down from generation, and the next king comes because he's an heir of the throne. No, we have a government that is a representative government of the people. And so when you don't like what it looks like in Washington, the problem with that is you can't like what's going on with men because what we have as a whole is a representation of what people want. And so when you have corrupt men at the helm in political office and in leadership and within business and within communities, what you're finding is, is you have a... a, a um, you have a, a litmus test to the reality of what men are within a culture. And so the reason we don't have godly men leading this nation, leading their homes, leading the church, is because we have a man problem and we have a sin problem. That's the reality. And so when we look at we look at things going on in our culture from everything from divorce to single family homes um, to, to uh, pornography, uh, all the things that we have going on. That, I mean, addiction, you just go down the list. You can stem a lot of it back to the man. That's just the reality. You can stem it back to the man. And so we need to focus on developing Christian godly men. Now, we can't make it happen, but there needs to be some effort put into that. Um, and that's one reason this podcast exists, because our desire in understanding that men are, in my opinion, according to Scripture, we are the link. We're the link. And your family follows you. And your wife, ultimately, she will follow you. And she's a responder. Now, she'll step up and lead if she has to, but that's not her role. And things are out of alignment. And so we have a lot of things out of alignment. What Paul is doing is he's, he's putting this on the men. Guys, you've got to grow up and mature because there's a lot on the line. And being an infant is a problem because infants can't lead. Infants can't understand danger. Infants can't make proper decisions. Infants can't do many things. And so Paul says there's a danger in staying an infant and that these men must grow up. And it's time for Christian men to grow up. We must grow up. There's no option. There's too much at stake, and you are responsible to God. Whether you like it or not, you'll give an account, and you're responsible to God for your leadership and for the way in which you have what? Represented Christ. And so 
it's, it's an important thing for us to get. And Paul is serious when he tells these men. He means what he says, and he says what he means. They are to what? They are to act like men. Now, we are pushing constantly against a feministic worldview. Feminism is the love of our culture. Um, and, and masculinity is downgraded and degraded. Um, and so even in the church, we have to be very cautious. Um, we need to seriously focus, I believe, at this time, very much need to focus on training and making men to be fully grown, mature men of God. We need to be focused on doing that. And um, it's very, very important, guys. Okay, enough about that. In Exodus 15, 3, <clears throat> the Bible says this about God. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Jesus Christ, he is, guys, the perfect standard of true manhood and masculinity. And here, listen, and I say this a lot, and I know I do, guys, but I want you to get the picture here. I abhor the pictures that I see of Jesus. Number one, it's not Christ. That is not his picture. That is not what he looks like. He is not effeminate. He is not. Now, I know our culture embraces effeminate things. I know that the church, unfortunately, is very feminized, and you can see it from its own decor. You can see it from the, the layout and the comfort and the, 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 the flowers and the and the carpets, and just, just, the, just the, the, the feminization of it. And you can see it, I hate to say it, guys, with a lot of the men. It's just a reality. Very feminine. And um, not all, but there's a feminization within the church. And then we have these other guys outside the church um, that have a masculine worldview that look at the church and what they're seeing is they see feminization. They're not seeing true biblical, godly masculinity being portrayed before them. And it's, it's, just, it's just so much of what we've created. And that's not what it should be. But it is what it is, guys. So we got to push against that. Um, and there's another example of Scripture. We can look at many of them in, in the Bible of true godly men. And their standard of masculinity and manhood was not found in the world, but was Jesus Christ. He was the standard. The Apostle Paul is a good example of, um, of someone like that. Let me say this about Christ. Christ was not a soft-handed, weak, um, effeminate man. Jesus Christ, he is God. He is God. He is the second person of the triune Godhead. One God, three persons, yes, but the Bible says the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He is not weak. In fact, if you think he's weak, then you know nothing of Christ. He is, he is perfect in strength. And he has illustrated his strength in meekness, which is <clears throat> controlling um, himself. Um, and it's, 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 it was done through strength, going to the cross, bearing the sin of the world, living holy before the Father, walking in perfect obedience to, Christ, to, the, to the Father. Everything we see in Christ portrayed, he was not a weakling. He stood up for those things that he needed to stand up for, and he drew his line in the sand. 
and and we see Christ and he's flipping over tables in the temple and he's making a cord of 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 whips and he's <clears throat> he's whipping people out of the way because they had turned what God had intended the the temple to be they'd turned it into a place to make money and to sell their things for people to sell for sacrifices and all of these things and Jesus he wasn't going to have it and and we see the kindled anger of of the righteous anger of Christ portrayed here not only that, when you read Revelation <clears throat> chapter 19, you just read Revelation chapter 1 and you look at Christ. He's anything but weak. And when he comes back and he's riding on his horse in Revelation chapter 19, I mean, no, no, no. And recompense is what he is bringing, the sword. He's not weak, but he is fully, perfectly, holy, righteous, and he is our prime example, okay, of how we are to be. Now, Paul the Apostle is another man that we look at in Scripture as someone that we can follow. Paul says, you follow me as I follow Christ. He says, I'm going to follow Christ. You follow me. I'm going to show you what it means to live for Christ. You just watch my life as I follow Christ. That's pretty incredible. Paul was not weak nor effeminate. Not at all. Okay? Um, now, he was a warrior. Paul was a warrior. Let me say this. Not every one of you... Um, and, and myself included, um, set out to go into the military. I, I appreciate and admire those guys that did, but at that season in my life, I had other goals. I had college. I had goals that I had pursued and what I wanted to do in life, and the military was not one of them. But let me say this. We are warriors, guys. That's what we are. And there is no greater war to fight than this war that we fight against the kingdom of darkness. You say, John, we don't fight it. It's already been won. Are you kidding me? Yes, it's won in Christ, but you still have to take your stand. And it's still real. And it's still happening all around us. And it is waging war. That's what this is. And it is real. And it has taken souls. And they are going to hell. And we are fighting against all the principalities and powers of this world that are behind all that's happening. We are living in it. And we are swimming against the current and it takes grit to live this life that Christ has called us to live in this world. It's not for pansies or for weak individuals. You better have grit or you're never going to be able to do it. Um, and we do this in the strength of the Lord. That is true. But we still have to do it. It's not that Jesus is just saying, oh, passively, you can just float along here. No, the moment your feet come off the bottom of this raging river that you're standing against, you float downstream, man. God doesn't just magically do this. No, we have a part that we have to do. We have work that God has prepared for us to do. We have to stand firm in the faith. We have things we have to do. And we are to what? Grow up and we are to mature and we have a part in that. It is something that we must engage in. In fact, Paul gives us a picture of what he suffered. You want to talk about a gritty individual. This man, the Apostle Paul, was a gritty sucker. There's no question about it. And he endured far more than most of us who are listening to this podcast have ever had to endure by a long shot. Listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 33. Paul, when he says, act like men, grow up, be this kind of man, he wasn't just saying this to, to say it. He, he's living it. 
and he knows it's a requirement and it's not easy and it, it is something that we must do. Listen to what he says. Speaking about these other people that were supposedly super apostles and had done so many things for God and suffered so harshly and listen to what Paul says. And he's kind of talking a little bit, um, he calls it foolishly here, kind of, kind, of, kind of like, oh really, they're really that kind of guy? Well, let me tell you what I've endured. And let me tell you, the greatest war you're ever going to fight is going to be the spiritual war in which you fight. It is real, and it is the kingdom of darkness, and it's not a joke. And people are having their tails kicked all the time by the kingdom of darkness. You say, yes, I have fought in battle, and I fought in war in, in, in another country in real time. Yes, but you know what you fought behind all those wicked, evil people? You fought the kingdom of darkness because that's where all this wicked, vile garbage comes from. It comes from the principalities and powers in heavenly places and those things that have been set here under Satan's control and power and his hierarchy that's over this earth. And he is the kingdom of darkness that's what you're ultimately fighting against. And it was lived out in real time in a dimension that you can see through people who were wicked because of the wickedness that was behind them. You were fighting against the same kingdom. Even though you didn't know it, ultimately you're fighting against the kingdom of darkness. We as Christian men, we fight against this kingdom on a daily basis and we stand firm in the truth and in the faith in which we've been given. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. He fought it. It is a good fight, but it is a real fight, and it's no joke. Listen to Paul. Are they servants of Christ? Listen to what he says. I'm a better one. Now, he's being facetious here. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, Paul says, they think they've worked hard for the kingdom. <laughs> they haven't done jack. I've worked way harder than they have. Listen to what he says. Far more imprisonments. How many of you out there, Paul says, who are calling yourself these super apostles, how much time in prison have you spent? Even the apostles in Jerusalem. Yeah, a few of them. Yeah, they spent a little time in prison here and there. Not like the apostle Paul, who spent years and years in prison throughout his ministry. With countless beatings, Paul says. I can't even, the apostle Paul, listen to what he says here. Do not superimpose some superhuman strength on Paul. He is a man of flesh and blood. And we have a tendency to spiritualize these guys, but they weren't. They lived in real time like you and I live in real time and space like we do. And they were fighting a real, a real enemy. Paul says, I was beat so many times, I can't even keep count. Beat that many times. Then he says, often near death. Oftentimes I was near death. Listen to this. Five times he remembered this. Couldn't remember how many times he was beat because that was so many times. But he says, I can tell you how many times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. You know, the one more would kill you kind of beaten with, the, with, with lashes. He says, five times. I received the maximum amount of lashes one could receive without dying. Five times. Now that left a mark. That left many marks. If you were to look at Paul's back, it wouldn't have looked like yours and mine. It would have been marred greatly, scar tissue all over it. And I would happen to believe that the Apostle Paul looked pretty beat up. 
He looked like some of these UFC fighters that have, you know, their nose is crooked, their ears are all bent over. I mean, these guys are warriors in the octagon, and their body shows that they've had some beatings. The Apostle Paul would have been like that as well, except there wasn't any gloves. These were real lashes with real leather and with things that had been attached and sewn and weaved in the leather that would have torn his flesh. It would have been horrible. And yet Paul survived it five times. <clears throat> Not only that, three times, Paul says, I was beaten with rods. He can remember those two. Three times he can remember that. What a beaten it would have been for him to have been beaten with rods. Once, he says, I was stoned. Now, if you read that story in Acts on Paul's first missionary journey, you know, as Paul begins that missionary journey, once he arrives, um, once he arrives from his boat journey from, from, from the island over, it pretty much starts there. And everywhere he goes, man, he runs into trouble everywhere he goes. And those people would follow him to his next town and stir up trouble and the next town. And so they were pursuing his life to kill him. They were pursuing his life to kill him. Finally, he gets, he gets to another town. And what do they do? They go even further. They, they, they actually took him, stirred up trouble. They drag him out of the city and they stone Paul. Not, not with pebbles, guys. You know, this isn't sticks and stones may break my bones kind of thing. No, these are rocks, which they would do at the city gate. They would stone you with big rocks that would ultimately kill you, crushing your skull, breaking your bones. Paul says, I was stoned one time. In fact, he was left there as dead. They thought they had completed their job or they wouldn't have stopped. They stoned Paul to the point that his body lay lifeless in the street and they believed that he was dead. But he wasn't. God sustained him. And those that were with Paul came and gathered around Paul. And when Paul finally came to, he goes right back into the city. <laughs> Dude is absolutely bonkers, man. Crazy. Paul says, yeah, I was stoned one time. Three times, Paul says, moving on in the list, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea. Now, that's pretty incredible in and of itself. On frequent journeys, which he had three of these missionary journeys that we know of, on frequent journeys, I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, which are the Jews who tried to kill him everywhere he went. And I was also not only in danger from my own people, but I was also in danger from the Gentiles. <laughs> Nowhere, no matter where Paul went, what was waiting for him was danger. That's what was waiting for him. That's what he was expecting. When he went, it wasn't going to be smooth sailing. It was going to be danger, and it was going to come at a cost. But Paul continued to be obedient to the purpose that God had for him in his life. And so the Apostle Paul, um, not only was, was he left at sea for a night and day, but he was in danger from his own people and a danger from the Gentiles. He was a dan in danger, he said, in the city, every city he went to. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, 
Danger from false brothers. Guys, you're going to encounter these in your life. There are false brothers out there. There's no greater betrayal than to be betrayed by someone whom you think is a true brother in Christ. In all reality, they're not. In toil and in hardship, Paul says, through many a sleepless night. In hunger, Paul says, I was often hungry. I was thirsty, often without food, in cold and exposure. In other words, I didn't have any shelter. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul constantly was concerned about the churches. Well, what was he concerned about? Well, if you read the New Testament and you read the letters of Paul, you'll find out that Paul was constantly having to defend and correct not only the gospel, but to correct the false teachers who were constantly infiltrating the early church. Paul was always concerned about these false teachers coming in and leading the people astray. He felt the pressure of that and the concern of those things, which was a great anxiety for the Apostle Paul. And Paul writes, oh, by the way, though, who is weak? And I am weak. Paul says, they say I'm weak. He says, you think I'm weak? Good grief. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, Paul says, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now that happened right after Saul's conversion. He goes to Damascus to get, has letters from the high priest to gather up those who were there in the synagogues who had joined and become part of the way or followed Christ. And he was going to take them back to Jerusalem and have them punished, executed if necessary, imprisoned. And the Apostle Paul encounters Jesus Christ, the one in whom he was trying to stamp out, and his life was changed forever. And he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And the very first thing you see Paul the Apostle doing after his conversion is he begins to, in, to, begins to proclaim the very Christ he tried to destroy. And his very first town, the town he went to get Christians, he became the Christian who was the one being sought to be killed. Pretty incredible. Men, the Apostle Paul was no pansy. When he told these Christian men in Corinth to act like men, he meant what he said and he said what he meant. Our standard of true biblical masculinity is not the world's standard, but it, it is found in Jesus Christ. He is the standard. What kind of men were they to be? Paul says, fully grown, mature men, men who take the initiative God reveals, men who are responsible, men who are accountable, men who are self-accountable, men who are self-controlled, men who are bold and courageous, men who are not afraid to die. Paul was not afraid to die. 
Paul was telling these men in Corinth they needed to grow up to pursue maturity in Christ Jesus. And guys, this third arrow is essential. We must grow up into mature manhood in Christ. It's not an option. There's too much at stake. Listen to what Paul says about these men in Corinth earlier in this same letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 3. Notice he's addressing the men here. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as mere infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul says part of the responsibility of us as men is to grow up in Christ in that we are now behaving like Christ, not a humanly way of living of the flesh. So if you're still living your life totally for the flesh, you haven't even climbed the first rung of biblical masculinity nor manhood. It's true. It hasn't. So what was the problem with the men in Corinth? These men at Corinth were still hanging out, what, in infancy, in their relationship of salvation to Christ. They were not pursuing true masculinity, true biblical maturity in Christ Jesus. They were not pursuing that. We are expected to grow and mature. Did you realize, guys, even in our career, you grow and you, um, you become more knowledgeable. And then what ends up happening is you actually, what, you progress through um, different stages within the company you work for. Um, some of you do that very quickly. Some of you do that at a slower pace. But the whole thing is we're, we're growing and we're mature, maturing. Um, and then what you end up having happen in your life is now you have other guys that just get the job. They come in and now they're given to you and you begin to train these men. You begin to help them learn and to understand and to show them what is expected of them and how they are to do this. You now, instead of being the one that's trained, you're becoming the trainer. And, and you were at one time discipled and are continuing to be discipled, but now you become the disciple maker. And the reason you're able to do that is because you now know what needs to be done. You've learned, you've matured, you've grown, you've grown, excuse me. And that is something that we do not only in our physical life, our bodies naturally grow from infancy to adulthood. That's what we grow into men. And we have the characteristics physically of an adult, mature man. But we may not necessarily act that way, right? But, but Paul is saying here that this is a natural thing that should happen for every Christian man. Now, what would happen in your job if you never progress, if you never grow, and you never, um, you never learn and become more equipped and able to do your job? What's going to happen to you? More than likely, you're going to possibly, number one, you'll either stay at that spot for the duration of your time in that company, or you're going to be terminated, or you're going to be terminated. Um, but yet, for some reason, um, in the church, we have allowed 
men to stay in infancy no matter how many years they have followed Christ. There should be a expectation and there should be a way in which men are required to grow and mature. And if they're not, there's something wrong. There's absolutely something wrong. And we are seeing the consequences of churches who are full of men who never grow up to mature manhood in Christ. We have, for the most part, a very weak, apathetic, tolerant, inclusive church today. That's what it is. Um, that's not what it should be. If you think about this, and we talk about this on this podcast sometimes, um, you expect that a, a 35, 40-year-old man, man should be a man. That's a natural expectation. And, and when you see one that will not work, will not provide and take care of his family, one who, who just lives in sin and lust, who's full of addictions and weakness and no strength of mind, no character whatsoever. You see these men, and, and, and they should never, ever be allowed to stay that way. Um, and yet, that's what we find so often. That's what Paul says about these men here in Corinth. They were staying at the infancy of salvation. And in a sense, a retardation had happened and that they were not growing up in Christ. Paul says, I want to address you as men, but I can't because you're still in infancy. And we must grow up in Christ. There's a danger if we don't. Um, are you growing in Christ? The reality is there is a time for milk, but that's not where we stay. So it should be unacceptable, guys, uh, for someone who has worked in a career or a job or a field of, of trade to have done it for 20, 30, 40 years and to not be able to teach someone else how to do what they've been doing for 30 or 40 years. That would be weird. That would be really weird. But the same is true in our churches. If a man has said or shares his testimony that he has been in Christ for 30, 20, 15, 10, 40 years, and yet he still can't even teach or disciple the basic principles of salvation and the doctrines of theology within the Word of God. He still um, he can't do any of those things. That is weird. That's not normal. It's not how it's supposed to be. And yet that is a reality. In Philippians 3, 3 through 21, Paul the Apostle says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or dung in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I by any means possible may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or am already made perfect, but Paul says this, I haven't already attained this Full, this full perfection of what I'm pursuing in Christ. Paul says this, though. That's not an excuse. He says, I press on to make it my own. See, Paul's taking the responsibility of what his role and responsibility before God is. He has a responsibility to grow. He has a responsibility to mature. Just like men have a responsibility to take on maturity as they grow up and to take responsibility and, and work and provide, protect, and to own what they do, to be accountable. And all of these things, we have a responsibility. Paul says, I, I don't take this for granted, man. I, I'm pursuing this. One thing that I do, I do. he says, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting what lies behind me and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. You see the effort in which Paul is straining forward to what he is pursuing to achieve in Christ? Yes, he's already been saved, but Paul is not staying at the infancy of salvation. He is growing up in Christ, and he is pursuing that with great effort and discipline and trial and endurance. That's what Paul is doing here. I press on toward the goal Paul has a goal in mind. He has something he's trying to work toward. And there is a prize, he says, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, we are in an ascending call from salvation, or if you will call it base camp, from salvation all the way to glorification. To what? To what? The summit, if you will. There is an upward call and so many men are staying at the base camp and that's not biblical, nor is that normal, nor is that right. And there is so much at cost or at, there's so much at risk here and guys are staying here in infancy. But Paul says, no, 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 no. I make it my own aim. I press on. I push toward this high call, an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a goal. There's a prize that Paul says I have in mind. Let those of us who are mature, there it is, think this way. And if anything you th should think otherwise, God will reveal to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, Paul says. Imitate me and keep your eyes on those. Here's what we said with the last one. Be careful who you hang out with. We are to be standing firm in the faith. 
We got to be care of our be care of our scare be careful of our sphere of influence. Paul says, not only imitate me, but he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, there you go, guys. You need to be walking and spending your time and hanging out and and living life with these kind of men. For many, listen, don't miss this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. That's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And their glory, they glory in their shame. With minds that are not set on Christ, that are set on earthly things. Guys, this is a warning from the Apostle Paul to these men these at Philippi. He says, I've told you of these men. And I'm telling you, even with tears now, that those who used to once walk for Christ, what, is he, what are they doing now? He says, no, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And one of the ways in which this has been evident and proven and seen, Paul says, listen, their focus is no longer on the things of Christ. It is all on the things of this world. And Paul says they've been sucked in to the vortex of the matrix of this incredible dream of, 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 of what's been made. It's a lie from the pit of hell is what it is. And men are being sucked into it. And they're, they're going off the desires of the flesh and what their minds are set on earthly things. Paul says, but listen, guys, our citizenship, it is in heaven. He says, that is where our citizenship is. And then he moves on and says, and from it, from where? Heaven, where we are citizens of. From it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is incredible. We must use this third arrow. We must daily desire to grow and mature and become men of God. And we do that by just daily walking with Christ. You will need to use this arrow on a daily base. You need to be men who are standing firm in your faith, who are watchful and alert, but also we must become fully grown, mature, responsible men of God. Guys, this third arrow is significant, and we want to desire to grow and mature in Christ Jesus. I hope that this has been a blessing to you today. I hope that you'll think on that. You're going to be sucked into this vortex of the American dream and this matrix that behind it all is the kingdom of darkness. And you're going to struggle and fight against this every day of your life. But you need to have your mindset on what? On heavenly things where your citizenship is from, not on solely the earthly things. That's not our goal. Our aim is the upward call of Christ Jesus, as Paul says. And this is what he does. One thing he does, he forgets what's behind 
He presses on toward the goal and the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. God bless you guys. You um, Thank you so much uh, for joining in. And um, you can contact or find me at greedycompany.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. God bless you guys. Stay gritty. And we'll see you next time on the Greedy Men Podcast. Bye.